In today's episode of EFM, we're talking to Mercer's Brian Henderson about what value for money means to him. Welcome to the 19th episode of VFM, the Pension Podcast. And as ever, I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host, Nico Aspinall. How was France, Nico? Yeah, uh, beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, we had a, a lovely warm week the first week, and then there's this there's this ability for it to like rain and then be warm, which was quite confusing, but yeah, beautiful. Got a lot of building work done as well. Glad to hear um, it. Glad to hear it. And we um and you were you were saying to me yesterday um at an event we were both at that you know good podcast etiquette is to ask our, our um ask our listeners you know how are they today so we should do that yes. shouldn't we yes so we you know thank you so much for joining us everybody I hope you're really really well good excellent what a great start um and I I'm delighted to be joined of course by you virtually Darren Philp. Um, and today we're also delighted to be joined by Brian Henderson. Brian from Mercer, welcome. Thanks, guys. Um, good to good to hear from you. If not see you. <laughs> yeah. So as um as as usual, we'll come on to um how you got into pen, into the pensions industry shortly. Um, but suffice to say that you're head of sustainable investment, UK Europe, and IMETA at Mercer. And um, in a recent article, um, and I'm glad this was in the article that you did for Professional Pensions, um, IMETA stands for India, the Middle East, Turkey and Africa. So you've got quite a big brief there, Brian. <laughs> yes, I have indeed. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a big, it's, a, it's a big old uh, range of countries. Um, UK is tough enough. But yeah. <laughs> uh, all that is, uh, it's a, that's an extra bonus. So, um, as ever, we start with the news. Um, so, Brian, what have you got for us? Yeah, so I, I, I'm going to go down the sustainability theme to start with. Um, and I saw an article in the, the Guardian or the Observer section of the Guardian, and it was talking about carbon tracker pension funds, and, and they were being accused of greenwashing withholding over a billion in oil and gas. Um, the article was mainly about managers, actually, um, and um, you know particular funds that are green labelled. Um, and they're holding things like Chevron and Exxon Mobil. And, um, and indeed, it goes on to talk about transition funds, and they're holding them, and there's a lot of defence in there. And um, it, it, it just got me thinking because um, we clearly we're, we're all working hard to try and avoid greenwashing, but but there are, there are funds quite legitimately holding these stocks for all sorts of reasons, and I've taken a more um, sort of stewardship view, engaging view, and, um, and with a, with a with a with a, an argument that they want to. You know, change the behaviour of the boards of these companies, and um, and and I can and have some sympathy with that. I mean, if you think about it, the the big oil and gas companies are the ones that have the engineers, the the technicians, the IT guys, the distribution networks, 
they're the ones that understand the energy and you, and so you really there isn't a kind of green version of it just sitting over there so you want you want to well there isn't at the moment but you want to really get get them to engage and change and meet their um meet their sort of paris aligned um you know um transition plans and 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 then on the other hand of course you've got we just had the the bp um agm and they 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 switched their it's something like 30 to 40 percent 35 to 40 percent of their upstream emissions within a decade you know they're going to get them down to 35 to 40 percent and um they swapped the numbers down to 20 to 30 and um you know there's a motion put forwards um i think it was follow this put something put it forward to say you know um we want you to reinstate you want you to be more transparent etc and 17 percent of the vote went for that so it was and then and the shell one's coming up and there's two resolutions in there um and you know follow this i put another one in um that, you know it's i think it's a resolution i'm going to say it's 26 i can't remember off the top of my head but basically they're saying um you know they want scope three in there and they want it also to be paris aligned and so we've got that coming up and so you've got this sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't, kind of approach going on at the moment of, you know, oh, you're holding this stuff. And then you go, well, we're holding it for a reason because we want to try and, if we didn't hold it, who's going to take these courts to, to task and um, to take these uh, boards to task and uh, get some change in there. And, um, and so I can fully understand why we've now got the case where, you know, people like London Civ and Nest are taking legal action um, you know, basically claiming that you know Shell has breached its legal duties, and um, mm -hmm. you know, and it's it's almost like um, it's slightly depressing actually, but it's almost like um, we're not we're not getting through to the board through our, our shareholding, so therefore we're going to go to court and try and you know make a change, and that that court case is going to be so important um, for all sorts of reasons. Um, so I, I just, you know, there's a can of worms in here and there's a lot of views strongly on either side of the fence and trying to navigate that. I just, I think trustees, um, uh, you know, have, have got a lot, a lot on their plate to try and work their way through that. And um, fair play to the large ones taking lead. I have absolute respect for that. And I think, um, you know, um, supportive in every way we can um, behind them. So anyway, that, that was just my observation. No, yeah, I think it's a really interesting, you know, the, the, it seems like there's two or three kind of coherent climate strategies, right? Um, yeah. And my observation is that probably the Master Trust, I've been reading these TCFD reports of the Master Trust, that overwhelmingly they're really following one of them, which is to sell out of those shares. Um, so they're decarbonizing their portfolio by by sort of voting with their feet. Um, but of course, that doesn't decarbonize the world at all. Um, the other coherent strategy is to sit, potentially increase the carbon exposure of your portfolio, giving yourself, um, you know, more influence with the companies who have the most to do. Um, I mean, the third coherent strategy is essentially to do nothing and to believe that governments and society around the world is going to do that for you. Um, and I don't think any of them, you know, you don't really see this debate and you really don't see anyone kind of like, vociferously defending any of those positions they kind of say like well this is what we've chosen to do and you know we're sort of sucking it and seeing it so 
yeah, I think this confusion is going to reign until we get governments which actually, you know, put the hammer down and tell us what the carbon price is and impose it on, on capitalism, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think if you look at the Nordics at the moment, the Nordics have got a different approach to life. They, mm. they have their red lines and they say, you know, here's the exclusions, we're going to take them out. And if they don't and they're caught out, you know, it's front page news. So mm. I just wonder if that's where we'll end up. Um, you know, we'll, we'll vote, vote with our feet, take the money out. But of course, that and the, the price, you know, the, the, the cost of capital for these firms goes up. But it, it feels like um, it's quite a long process to do that. And so maybe the legal route's the way to do it. It's just another tool in the toolbox, I guess, yeah. to try and get change. Uh, but but, but well, for my observation, and I'm not um, as close to this stuff as you, as both of you are, but, you know, the, the, there's been a real ramping up of stewardship and pensions engagement by you know um, pension funds, um, not not right across the piece, um, but you know we're having this discussion now. Whereas you know go back five years, you know um, pension funds certainly weren't active owners and probably just um, you know voted with the crowd. Do you think that's yeah. fair? Mm. Yeah, I think I think I have seen a change. Uh, 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 there is a definitely a change, yeah. and we've um, you know we've gone through the codes. Uh, we've got clients that take it super seriously. We look at things like um, where, where there's voting on anything to do with um, climate. Um, we look at the number of votes. We look at the number of votes the managers have, you know, um, supported or otherwise. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes the managers, you can see it's pretty modest. And so, therefore, there's an action to try and get more impact from the managers to, to increase their voting activity. Yeah. It all just feels like a mile away from me. <laughs> Do you know, um, these things are important, right? And mm. we should support them. And indeed, um, they will make a difference. I'm sure they will make a difference. But it, it, um, it just doesn't go fast enough for me. And that's, yeah. mm -hmm. yeah. I want to tear the world up here and, and fix it. And I, I just, yeah. it just feels like a long, drawn-out process to try and to change. There's a real short-term versus long-term tension here, isn't there? There is, yeah. Well, I, I think the tension is passive versus active. Um, you know, in this low-cost world of particularly master trusts, overwhelmingly the investments hold thousands of companies. Um, and so, you, Darren, you said, you know, stewardship and engagement is, is better. Yeah, it's better from a standing start. Yeah. But they're not engaging with thousands of companies. No, no. They're not, they're not imposing uh, science-based targets on all of those companies, um, regardless of jurisdiction. Um, and when you look through their, their voting and stewardship reports, you know, they're talking about single digit to, you know, 100 companies that they're, they're, they're really not talking about their full portfolios. And it may be the most material, but, you know, compared to an active manager where you maybe have 50 stocks and they know them intimately and, you know, they are uh, engaging with all of these different issues. I think it's, it's such different worlds. Um, so for me, it's papering over the cracks uh, mm. in the passive world. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of this is this is the next greenwashing is the sort of pretense of stewardship um, in, in passive environment. But that's that's well, controversy to come, isn't it? It sounds like <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Shell or the market cap of Shell is about 214 billion, give or take. And I was just thinking, how much does how much do we hold in the UK in pension assets in Shell? Mm. And I was trying to work that number out and there's very few organizations have more than five percent i think maybe blackrock might have a bit more 
mm-hmm. and it dwindles all the way down to small percents and sub percents. So I just, I just wonder if there's enough money. I'm, sorry, I'm just throwing it out there. I don't know the answer to this. I, I haven't looked it up, but is there enough money in, in pension funds in the UK to actually overturn the shell board? Yeah. I suspect it's quite light and we'll need help from others. And so I began to hold debate about, you know, taking um, voting down and put it into fractions and giving it to people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but, you know, it needs a big collective e- effort to move that board. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, which takes a lot of effort. Right? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And it's a global effort as well. Correct. It's a global yeah, effort. Absolutely. It's across all institutional investors in the world. Mm. And, you know, there are 3,000 companies in developed equity markets, give or take. Um, so are you going to do that 3,000 times? Um, it's it's it, This is where I come back to governments. Mm. You know, it has to be governments, right? We've, yeah. we've got this very strange situation in the UK where the government has delegated in, you know, climate change uh, mitigation management um, to to uh, pension schemes and particularly DC pension schemes, um, which just seems like an abrogation of responsibility. So there we go. Okay. Brian, you've got a second piece for us. You've got a second piece I for have us. have indeed. Possibly have a indeed. new energy source. We'll see, we shall Correct. see. <laughs> it's lightning. And um, yeah, I, I saw this... Uh, Sorry, my background. I, I did originally do a, a PhD in lasers and medicine, and um, I'm, I, um, I keep my eye out for fun stuff in lasers. And there was a thing that it was, it was talking about scientists have, uh, you know, come up with uh, a way of um, redirecting lightning strikes using lasers. So what they do is they point a high-powered laser beam into the sky, and um, it, what it does is it causes oxygen, nitrogen to ionize. In fact, that's actually how lasers some lasers work, but that plasma, so if you think of it like a neon tube, a neon light tube, yeah. Um, so what happens is the electricity conducts down the plasma and um, they're trying to create laser lightning rods. I thought, oh, this is this is brilliant. So what, what um, and then of course, you know, Frank Lincoln was the first one that did it with these uh, kite, <laughs> it was that kind of idea, but it would be pretty painful in your hand if, you, if it worked, but what, what um, <laughs> Well, and uh, so it's this university in Geneva and, and um, Apolli in Paris, I, I can't remember its name, Apolli in Paris, that's terrible. But what they've done is they're firing these super bright um, laser beams in the sky. And the thing about lasers when I work with them, there's two things. One is obviously they can blind you. And the other thing is their power supplies can kill you. But the, the blinding bit's a bit of a bit of a challenge. And um, this article went on to say, what about the, you know the the planes that are fly, flying yeah. overhead while they're trying to shoot down clouds. Right. So, and uh, and you know I was thinking about the one-eyed uh, um, Martian looking at Earth, going, "I wonder what these clowns <laughs> on Earth are up to today with his telescope." And uh, oh look, there's a there's a thunderstorm in Geneva, zap. And I think I think um, it's uh, but it's fascinating because uh, people responded to the article, "Oh, it'd be, it'd be great, we could direct them onto you know um, put them into the grid and you know." And uh, I never even thought of that, that that was a, a thing that you could do. So you've but, got me, uh, you've got me thinking, Brian, <laughs> about um, uh, the first Back to the Future um, episode, where oh, um, you know the, the, yeah. the you know the um, lightning being diverted um, from the town hall into the flux capacitor. I think it was. Yes, so yes. you know, um, watch his space for a flux capacitor. Maybe that could be your postdoctorate, <laughs> Brian. It could, uh, it could be. Yeah. You know. yep, yep. 
It would be a lot of energy to receive in one go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the field um, burning. Yeah, yeah. A lot of frazzling going on, and presumably it would hit the laser, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, well, yeah, be... that's why I wondered. And uh, so clearly, just before it hits, you've got to switch it off and direct it. <laughs> Some, somebody's holding a, a big pole. Yeah, this is this is AI. We've got AI involved now, surely. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, I, I, one of my uh, summer jobs is I, I used to work. At, well, I can't tell you actually. I signed the official secret act, but I know that I know that. Um, Air breaks down at twenty thousand volts per centimeter. That's the only thing I remember. Uh, right. So it's uh, it's pretty enormous voltages and huge currents. So of course it would come with it as well. So you, you anybody that tries to harness that's got, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're going to get a shock literally. <laughs> <laughs> well, a brilliant story. Thanks for that, yes. uh, Brian. Um, we've got to move on quite quickly. Uh, Nico, what have you got for us? Yeah, uh, so let me give you like a quick take. So we talked a few weeks ago, probably months ago now, uh, to Sophia um, from from XBS, and she mentioned that DB schemes were now being in surplus, um, that uh, some employers were thinking about using that as part of their sort of DC contribution package, mm. so where they had mixed schemes. Um, and that was maybe slowing some of the consolidation um, uh, discussion. So PwC in Pensions Age um, are reported of saying essentially you should go further and you should see this as an intergenerational transfer. So essentially uh, a kind of payment from the young to old, presumably because the old have so much better pensions and so much better guarantees from the, the employer that the young are still working for. Um, so I thought that was quite an interesting I'm going to call it a grenade to throw into this debate. Mm. Um, I'm not sure those are the words I would have chosen. Um, uh, I think it might be one of those circumstances that calling this the employer's money uh, might actually uh, be helpful in the debate. Because uh, if you call it the old people's money and suggest they pay it to the young, um, you know, that's that's uh, in our in our world that may not resonate quite as well as it might in, uh, let's say, Scandinavia, um, other maybe more socialist countries. It's very so, yeah, I thought that was an interesting little story. Very polarising. Um, what have you got for us, Darren? Yeah, so I'm going to do a bit of, I don't know if this is back to the future, um, but um, <laughs> we are recording on Tuesday um, because Nico is at the Grand Prix um, and I know he's looking forward to that. And Brian, I think you're in Edinburgh, aren't you? So um, we're having to do this one remotely. But the podcast will go out on Friday. And, um, you know, by this time, um, we will know that our um, our quite often the organisation that hosts our podcast, DG Publishing, would have taken on um, the pension trade publication, Pensions Expert. Um, listeners mm. will remember that the FT Group um, decided to close Pensions Expert and DG Publishing have decided to make a strategic investment, pick up their reins and keep it going. Like for, for someone who has been, you know, often appeared in Pensions Expert, um, you know, as a talking head or as a commentator, you both probably have as well. You know, mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, it's great that it's going to continue. And, um, you know, well done for, to DG Publishing for sort of picking up the baton and looking to continue with an absolute quality um, publication. Um, yeah, yeah. So hopefully, um, you know, this, 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 this will have happened. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but only time will tell. But well done. Well, we had Scott. strong assurances, didn't we, we from did, Brian yeah. yesterday? We, we, we Very did, strong yeah. assurances. So, so, so it didn't did you take a photo of me shaking his hand? It's, it's Brian's fault. It's Brian's, but but, but it's well, Brian's done fault. To, well done to Neil Desmond and Brian Guilty. Um, yeah. you know for, for you know for doing that and um you know wish pensions expert and the 
team at DG Publishing, um, you know, all the success. Yeah, yeah. Um, can I can I do a little bit of gossip? I think is, gossip. Is I didn't know we did. I, I didn't know we did gossip on this. Yeah, podcast, maybe this is Nico. a new section. A new section. Um, and so I should put the word like allege and all that kind of stuff <laughs> around this. Um, but we understand that HSBC is going to, uh, I say, pull out of the master trust market. Okay. Um, so uh, as I say, this is sort of rumor, and um, you know, I would love to get HSBC on to tell us it's it's, it's not the case. Uh, but yeah, we understand that having failed to get uh, any any employers to see the light and and join the HSBC Master Trust, they've decided to, to to stop promoting it, stop distributing it, and of course because it has no members, um, that that means closure. So uh, yeah, uh, I guess that's another one down in the consolidation numbers. Um, it was always a bit of an outlier, wasn't it? Um, the master trust that was authorised but had zero assets. Yeah, and it, and, um, it, and and I think it was um, you know the first non uh, first and only non-established master trust to seek authorisation, and I think it um, you know launched that process um, you know as the authorisation rules were being developed. So yeah. you know um, you know obviously wish the team at HSBC all the best. Um, yeah, you know um, it's always difficult. You know getting products into a market and stuff um but yeah it'll be um you know interesting to see what that means for the wider consolidation agenda in pensions yeah yeah i mean their their main difficulty was the uh, uh the success of the hsbc staff trustees that kind of not putting the um the, the staff into uh the hsbc master trust right and they just presumably felt that they were getting a better deal. I think HSBC staff members pay zero fees. Um, so quite hard to, we're on a value for money podcast, quite hard to, to demonstrate the value for money of anything which charges anybody anything after that, right? Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, that sense of, you know, promoting something that you wouldn't give to your own staff um, for whatever reason, I think is, is, is quite difficult. Um, so yeah. And then of course, new entrants into... Uh, a market that had been going, albeit for five years or whatever, but um, they were just a bit late to the party, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Right. So there we go. That's um, quite a chunky news section, uh, Nico. So um, that's good. And thank you for bringing your stories, uh, Brian. Very thought-provoking. I'm certainly not going to be the person holding the end of the laser when they do that first lightning experiment. Um, but, you, but you mentioned um, your PhD and um, your background in laser technology, um, and you've got my mind whizzing now from saying that you signed the Official Secrets Act and stuff. But we won't yeah, go indeed, into that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, tell us how you got into pensions. Yeah. So um, I've got a bit of a a bit of a dog's breakfast of a career, really. <laughs> I started <laughs> off in. Um, yeah, I started off with, uh, did my uh, PhD in lasers and medicine, as I said earlier on. And um, yeah, when, when, when the day I graduated, actually, I, uh, I bumped into something. This is going to sound so ridiculous. I bumped into somebody in a pub and they said, why don't you apply for her to work with us? And um, I did. And at that some, some place was uh, the WM company, which was the, the equivalent of CAPS, if you remember them on the, that Cheerio side. We... Right. Just a performance performance measurement house. We measured, I think we, we call it WM2000, the 2000 largest pension schemes in the UK. And we did that all over the place and fund managers, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so that's where I kind of cut my teeth. I was there for a while. And um, 
eventually I kind of saw the writing on the wall that, you know, um, league tables of performance measurement had had their day. And from the fund manager side, fund managers all went into GIPS, as you know, mm. um, Global Investment mm. Performance Standards. And indeed, I was in the, the executive that pulled that together. Um, and uh, so I could see that wasn't happening. And then, of course, the funds, quite rightly, had their own benchmarks and objectives and were doing their own thing. So why did you need to add them all up and produce an average that was get, it become a bit meaningless? So from there, I decided it was time to move on. And um, I went to Hyman's Robertson. And, you know, I, I, a funny story, when, it, when I went to Hyman's Robertson, George Henshelwood, who was the partner in charge of the investment business, um, he was interviewing me. And the first thing he said to me, George, he was... He was He's, I, I, sorry, George, if you're listening, you probably <laughs> won't, won't remember this at all. But he said to me, um, why did you give up a good career to come and work for us? <laughs> and, was, <laughs> and, um, and I think he was trying to get the point, you know, I, I, I had that sort of that, uh, science background. And uh, yeah, so I joined Hyman's, had a great time at Hyman's and um, decided to move on to, after a good few years, years there. And um, I enjoyed my time there. And I think... Um, I left because I had a young family over in Edinburgh and I was commuting back and forward every day and it was taking three hours of my day and your kids are weak, which just wasn't working for me. And the, the head partner, the, the staff partner, Russell Borland, and Russell, if you're listening, apologies to you as well. Um, <laughs> but, he, you know, I said, look, I'm going to, I'm going to move. I just, um, it's, the commute's killing me. Um, and uh, he said, oh, don't worry, don't worry. You know, we're going to open an Edinburgh office. And I went, yeah, right. I said, no, we are. <laughs> and I, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll, 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 I'll look forward to that. And then, so I left. And uh, six months later, they opened an Edinburgh office. So I felt like a great idea. But by that time, I was at Hyman's, a bit of Mercer. And um, you've been here ever since. So I guess, um, how did I get into it? It was a kind of... Uh, by the pub, by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. By the pub. By the pub. And uh, you don't get any more imaginative than that. But by the pub. And in fairness, uh, after going through all my academic but I just wanted a job with some cash. I was skint and so I wanted some money and <laughs> point myself in the direction where I could see it. So anyway, it worked out all fine and I've had a great time since so then, I, you know. So I, I started but I didn't finish um, a PhD um, in, oh, econometri- you, right? in, in right. econometrics and um, it was on central bank independence and this um, this was in 1997. Um, so two things happened. One, the government announced that they were going to go ahead with central bank independence. So that sort of stole <laughs> oh, my thunder yeah, yeah. a bit. Um, but equally, I sort of felt your pain on the money side. Um, you know, you don't oh, do, yeah. you don't, you, yeah. you know, you are poor when you do a PhD if you don't have sort of other sources of funding. And it's, um, yeah. it's a slog, isn't it? It's a real slog. A lot, of, yeah, lot of time, a lot of time and respect for people that um, do that and see the course. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You sit, yeah. you sit back now and you, you think, oh well, it was great and all the fun you had and all the things. But yeah, it was, it was you to really muckle down to so many folk never finish them. It's just, yeah. it's a, mm. I'm, I'm on that list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. sorry. I uh, <laughs> I thought it would be too boring. That was my, <laughs> that was my excuse. I did uh, my dissertation in computer in computational physics, um, Ooh, which right. is like running experiments in computers that you couldn't do in real life. And right. uh, I did like two terms with these guys and submitted my dissertation. And they said, oh, you know, we've got a PhD. Uh, vacancy and we'd really like you to apply for it and I just, I just thought the thought of three years four years of 
sitting they were lovely people but i just thought yeah. this is this is just not me um so yeah i swerved the bullet ahead of you darren he did yeah yeah excellent yeah excellent. it helps it yeah so no no so i'm just gonna say it helps to geek him up with something i i, I got a patent in my time there and mm. I, I mean i i um came up with this way of was this treatment for cancer where you you inject a dye into people and it's selectively retained in tumors Right. But the dye re- reacts to light in a certain wavelength of light and kills the tumour. And um, I came up with a little probe that you could put in to monitor that light and deliver it. Wow. And um, right. yeah, and, and it was, it's, it's one of the three things I think I've done. I'm, I'm pleased with myself <laughs> that I've been yeah. involved in. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I, I still look back and see how it's going on. But I, I just, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of cut my ties. But it's just, it was fascinating at the time and I enjoyed it. Came up with that quickly, so it worked, and then you know I was lucky. I was really just lucky, um, right? Wow. Do the right thing, as Napoleon said, "Give me lucky generals." You know, you can't uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can't play against exactly. that. No, no. Yeah, um, so, what what is value for money, Brian, and what does it mean to you? Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah. So, value for money for me is. Um, a really um, tricky concept, I think. <laughs> I mean, it's been it's been argued for by for, by all of us for so long. Um, it's clear that it's a, a really odd, poorly defined um, term. Um, it feels like it's backward looking. It's mm-hmm. it's sort of it's a cost focused thing, and it's. Um, I just think it's muddled, vague, and confusing, quite frankly. <laughs> and um, I, I mean, I, I the consultation came up, and, and fair play to the, you know, the regulator, the, the TPR, the FCA, and the DWP come together. I mean, there's three kind of uh, significant players coming together to sort this out. So you you know, this is a big issue, and um, it's an important issue if the three of them are coming together. And fair play to them for doing that. And I, I really applaud them. For putting out the consultation, I mean, I, I, I sort of became obsessed about this um, on my my train journeys up and down to London in January and February. And um, you know, I, I, I was sitting there trying to think, you know, if I was doing this, what would I be doing? What 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 matters? What's important? And um, you know, I, we've gone. You know, if you go back a bit, we used to we used to before we had auto enrolment, we used to think about getting people to save more. That was the big big thing we're doing. We're trying to get people to save more. And all of a sudden we started getting, you know, in 2012 we get the charge caps and then, you know, it's then, then all of a sudden when we get, um, you know, the, the ability to flexibly spend our retirement savings a couple of years later, we, mm. we, we, we suddenly went from saving to spending, right? And, um, mm. and then we get fixated on costs and costs, you know, we start looking at transaction costs of, a hundredth of a bip, you know, and I just, it just, positive, you know, the right. that, I mean, you, you might be you benefiting know, from the transaction. Yeah. Or positive indeed. And so you end up, how did we get here? So I think, I think I was just going through, this has all been through my head. And um, the more I thought about it, and I was trying to do it in some maths and some sums. And, um, and, you know, you're thinking about big, big trusts are better than little trusts. And why is that? And they only deliver good value. And, and, and not only that, they deliver the best value. Um, but how do you know that's true? And so 
it got me thinking and um, I couldn't work out value for money. I just, it just was a really odd concept in investment space for me, but I thought I could get somewhere with value and what I meant by good value. So that was where I started. I thought, what, what would good value mean to me? And, um, and I thought, I'm going to look at this through the lens of an individual. Um, mm. You know, we could look at it from the company, the trustees, the government, or the regulator, whoever. But I thought, let's look at this through the eyes of the individual and what, you know, perceived value might mean to them or what good value might mean to them. And then I started to think about what values make good value, right? And so mm-hmm. I got this idea of having sort of primary values that define good value. Um, and and they said, right, right, bring it back to the individual. So what I think, and so I built this whole thing around a phrase. And the phrase basically is, I'd value something more if it was better quality, it lasted longer, or it looked good, right? Mm-hmm. Just put it into the language of an individual. Look good, tasted good, smelled good, whatever way you want to look at it. Um, and, and, and I think you, so, um, to continue the pub theme, but Brian, and sorry to interject, I think you gave an example <laughs> yeah, yeah. here in your, in your article, didn't you? I did indeed. There, there's, and I did, a theme so, here. You know, <laughs> there's a theme with beer, you know, and I don't... I don't actually drink alcohol, so I don't know why. I must be dreaming about it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, you know, it's, uh, you know, people do come up with irrational ways of thinking about things and, yeah, reassuringly expensive Stella art back into mind. <laughs> so, um, so that, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where I got to. So I value something that was better quality, lasted longer, or it just looked good. So I translated that into kind of investment terms of quality, longevity and appeal. So I've said, in my mind, good value is basically where a pension scheme becomes, um, you know, it rates highly on quality, longevity and appeal. So that's my definition, right? That's what I think good value is. Yep. And and then I went to look at what each of these, what good would look like for each of these. So that, that was that was it, really. And um, and the more I thought about that, the more I thought, you know, I've grown up on league tables. I worked in a company that made them. Um, I know the problems with them. I know, I know that you mm. put league tables down and you get a, you know, a, a tolerant, a, a range of plus or minus 1% around the median and nobody takes risks because nobody wants to take commercial risks. Mm. Um, and, and, and what it does is it, you know, it just create short-term views that takes risk and ideas out of the debate um, and or worse that you end up with performance chasing and it just um, I just think it's a sideshow I just think you know that's not the exam question here it doesn't the member wants to have a quality outcome they don't want to look mm-hmm. at league tables so um, yeah, I, I, I just have some quite strong, do you know, I just started to have some strong views on this, and it's not like me to to, 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 to do that. And, and, and it's just, I, I just think, you know, there's there's a lot of activities going around about some of this stuff, like governance groups and trustees and investment subcommittees and goodness knows what else. But ultimately, for me, that all has to manifest itself in a good quality outcome. And um, and from a member's perspective, they couldn't care less what committees you've got. Um, yeah, they're not yeah, even yeah. slightly interested in that. So, 
you know, from, from and, and some of these will have a positive impact and whatever, you know, and um, I, I think the, the key thing for me was just having defined what I thought the three areas, how, how can I quantify them? And so stop me if I'm going to ramble here, because I will go on. <laughs> but if I, th- if I think about quality, for me, if I think of quality, I think of it as it's based on something I've experienced in the past. It's a sort of backward looking view or, 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 or factor, if you, if you want to put it like that. And, um, and so for me, that's where the performance comes in, right? The past performance. Mm-hmm. But from a member's perspective, there are things that happen in there that are value to me in that calculation of past performance. So, um, so for example, if, if, my, if my company pays admin fees, you mm-hmm. think, right, okay, I don't have to pay that. In fairness, if you went to a master trust, you wouldn't be including the fee anyway. So, you know, there's, there's stuff like that. Um, if you went to, but, but there are other things like I get, you know, match contributions. You know, I put 5% mm-hmm. in, the company give me 5 that's pretty valuable. You know, that's a useful yeah. thing for me to have. And, um, but in truth, if I went, if the company chose a master trust, I'd probably still get that. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, there are things that are valued to me that don't necessarily distinguish one arrangement to another, but for me, they're good value. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that, you know, as an individual, if I put a thousand pounds at the start of the year and I put 10% in throughout the year, um, add in all the things that I get, take out all the things I pay for, where'd I end up at the end of the year, right? Mm-hmm. And then I thought, why would I then go and compare that to everybody else? As an individual, right. I can't leave the scheme, right? So I can't leave the scheme and go and join a master trust. Or I can yeah. go away and join something else, but I'd lose my matching, I'd lose my life, my life yeah. cover, say. So retail's never going to compete. So as an individual, so therefore... You know what what's important to me, and I my argument is that if you don't if you don't beat inflation over reasonable periods of time to be debated, but I said five and ten years, but you know whatever the period of time is, um, and you don't beat inflation by a little bit, matching inflation feels a bit kind of not enough. It feels like yeah. we should be keeping our nose ahead of inflation over a reasonable period of time, because the flip side is if you don't, and you can talk about value for money as much as you want but if you're not beating inflation and, and you're losing the member money you're losing me money i'm going to say you're delivering bad value <laughs> so yeah um and this is where lead tables fall apart right yeah. so you could have them all not doing that and you know oh but that one's better than that one it doesn't matter so that was so my so first Brian, kind of thing yeah yep. so, so so let's just let's let's um there was a question at the uh, DG Publishing DC Strategic Summit from the floor, which I'll, I'll repeat to you, which is sure. your, I don't know how they said it, but like you're the emperor for a day, right? So, so, so what, what's your intervention? What's, how would you change things? Um, you know, I, I, I heard, I heard a really interesting piece in what you just said, uh, lots of interesting pieces, but one I want to pick out, which is um, that the contributions may be valuable but they're not part of the assessment right so so therefore we've we've ducked the question of whether people can retire from pensions right in our value for money assessment yeah yeah 
is is that something you want to bring back in um just, just yeah so, so intervention yeah no it's a really good point so i sat down trying to work this out the other day there that all the kind of maths behind this because i don't know i said it and then i thought how's this going to work mm. so yeah i i think i would bring it in right so i would say if you're getting extra and then what what do you do do you pick the maximum do you say right the maximum you can get out of the scheme is five and five so you can go up to five and five and that's that's the top top benefit here top value so this scheme could could do that and for you as an individual that means at the end of the year you're going to have an extra five percent in your pot that's good news right so that's real value to you and when it comes to measuring against inflation then you've got that boost. You've got that little boost that you can't get elsewhere. Um, what was going through my head though is if you went, if the company decides to go Master Trust or just goes GPP or whatever, they'll probably still offer you the same. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, but then I was getting into comparisons and the point of this isn't a comparison exercise. So I would bring it back and I would add in, um, I would add in these, um, match contributions because that will give you an extra bonus in terms of delivery against inflation and that's yeah. for me as an individual is all that matters i could i mean i couldn't care less I'm sorry as an individual i don't really care how everybody else is doing it that's what i've got does it give me value mm -hmm. so yeah. that would be yeah. my answer to that i think it's important i mean I, I you know that's what makes the difference and if you mm -hmm. go if you do go outside and say right i'm going to leave the scheme because i've seen in a league table that XYZ um, insurance company as at the top of the league table and you lose that 5% and you lose your life cover and you lose everything else that goes with it. Um, then you're, you're, you know, you're batting with one hand tied behind your yeah. leg straight yeah. from the beginning. So batting with your yeah. one arm tied behind your leg. Does that make sense? I think it did, but you know, <laughs> well, it, it would be hard. It would be It'd hard. hard, right? It'd be hard, right? So, so, you know, that's why I, I think it should be in there. Um, uh, and all these other little costs and things, you know, some little costs in there that the company's picking up, but then the master trust would pick them up as well. So, I mean, I wouldn't get into the, the minutiae of all of these because I don't mm -hmm. think it really makes a difference. So um, your, your point about matching, I think, is a really valid one. Yeah. But there's there's the offer the match. Yeah. Versus the promote and encourage the match. And yeah. um, at the conference, yes, um, we, we, we heard of a, a sort of a natural tension that there can be between, you know, a, a master trust who is doing the communications and wanting yep. to send out things like increase more, make sure you use, increase your contributions, save more, yeah, make sure yeah. you use your match versus, um, you know, whether employers would like you to do that or not. How, how, how would you pick up something like that within this assessment? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a good point. I mean, I, I um, say if it's this assessment, I would have said, I've spoken to a number of trustees that have said, oh, you know, when we were doing auto enrollment, I wish we'd used the default as being the, the full match. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, and then, you, and then you unwind from it rather than going in at the low and trying to build up to the match. So some form of opt-down, active opt-down. Yeah, 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 and and I and I, I you quite a lot of sympathy for that because you know yeah. if people can't afford it they'll just opt down, right? Yeah. So, um, simple, but but it's a harder behavioural thing to get people to put more money in, and um and so I I think you know if you could have done that I think that would have been a great way of doing it. Um, you start at the the match and you work down. Um, 
and that would that would maybe solve one of these problems and mm. from my perspective i'm thinking from an individual is i'm trying to answer the, the fundamental question is my pension scheme good value or not is it good value or isn't it if, if i go to nest i say is it good value well, oh yeah it's really good value well how do you prove that's good value um i'm not saying it's not um i'm just saying how do you show that so you know have you got matching have you got all these things that are going to make your pot going to make your pot bigger um and is it going to keep its nose ahead of inflation as a result of that so you know i think from my 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 perspective um you know you can't solve everybody's problems and the companies might you know kick back but you know there's ways around this i mean that's i think that's so just how you come at it so, so is there a distinction that we, we, we need to make between the pension provider or the, the scheme, yeah, versus the pension offering? You know, are we trying to sort of, well, do we end up conflating yeah, 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 discussion yeah. around some of this stuff? And, right, and do we so... need to sort of think about value and separate the two out a bit more? Because it mm. feels to me that the DWP's focus is more on the provider um, and yeah. the pension scheme. And whether, you know, keeping contributions constant and, you know, and controlling for, you know, whether the employer <clears throat> pays admin fees or whatever, is that scheme good value for money? Yeah. yeah. Whereas actually yeah. a lot of the discussions we're having on this podcast and in different fora, and I think what's coming out from what you're saying, Brian, is that actually it's the, it's the outcome that matters. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 okay. it's the total sum of the parts that we need to be assessing for value for money. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you can see what I've done here. If, if I'm, if I'm now just saying, right, over a five, 10, whatever year has the, has the scheme delivered X, you know, above inflation, whatever, that's the end of it. Right. You, you know, the other piece that sort of irks me a little bit is when we talk about good value and somebody says, oh, there's better value over here or there's best mm-hmm. value. Let's just be happy with good value. Right. Because good, if you consistently deliver good value over time, it will compound up to ultimately driving a good outcome. Mm-hmm. And 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 this is this is one of my frustrations. Frustrations. We, we hear a lot of chat about what outcomes look like and what good outcomes are. So we don't hear what what nobody actually defines what what that is. And yeah. if you hold people's feet to the fire and say, what what do you actually mean by that? Um, it's very hard to get a, a, def, a definitive response. And so my, my argument is a good outcome for me is if a scheme delivers um, good, good quality, sorry, good value over, over the long term, you'll get a really good outcome. Because not only will you have delivered the returns that I'm talking about here, but there are two other factors as well. And, and I should mention them longevity mm-hmm. and appeal. Um, that if these are all ticking the boxes, you're going to get a good outcome. And and I think for me, the more I thought about it, that's the outcome I'm looking for, is just that consistent good good value throughout time, and uh, and and measured in a quantifiable way. And and sorry, I did mention the other two. But I'm, you know, for me, sustainability is all about creating long term value, longevity. Mm-hmm. The longevity piece is the forward looking bit. And I know there are those out there who say, well, but you can't look to the forward, you can't do it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm not in that camp. I mean, I think um, 
you know, the, the, what, what you're looking for here is what actions can trustees or providers do to support good value in the future, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that future, I would argue, has to be sustainable and it has to be, in, and it'll be increasingly influenced by social, climate and planetary concerns, right? So, you know, what does the future look like and what are you doing about that? You can't just rely on the past because, you know, past performance won't get you through the next stage. So, um, and you need some measures for that. So I, I gave some, my examples would be good long-term value. Um, you know, it can, be, it, it can be sort of measured by considering some of the immediate and plan interventions that are in play or, or, or whatever you put in play to make for a sustainable future. So, you know, um, oh, for example, what, have there been actions taken on diversity? Are, are, the impact, are there impact investments that are impactful? Does the scheme invest in long-term liquid assets like venture capital, private equity or debt? Um, you know, what's the stewardship like? What's the voting like? Although, you know, question mark over that. And then, um, you know, has it got documented? All, all these kind of things that are focusing um, the, the, the scheme to think about the future and what it's doing to line up that future. It's not a tick box thing. It's a genuine, if we do this, then that will gain value in the years to come. So that was the second one. And the third one was appeal. And, and my argument here is that good products look good, feel good, sound good, smell good, taste good, you know. So you've got, you've, you know, it's, it's maybe a bit of an oxymoron for pension schemes to talk about appeal, but, you know, people spend <laughs> a lot of, uh, you know, schemes and providers spend a hell of a lot of money on platforms and websites and comms. So, mm. you know, they, they, they believe that, and as an individual, the look and, peel, look and feels of value when it comes to engaging with members. And I, I totally agree with that. And I, I, I go back to when we used to, we still do this, personalised videos. Yep. It's one of the other things that mm -hmm. we've been involved in, I feel proud of that. It really, technology really made, made people change their behaviours. It made them contribute mm. more to pension schemes. And so, you know, it's maybe a difficult one to quantify, but, and it's hard to put, put numbers around this, but, you know, certainly you should be thinking about, um, you know, what's good value to the member in this space? Well, it's things like if you've got tardy transfer times, I, I, I noticed Romney was talking about that the other day there, Yep. You've got long, long wait times for requests. Um, there's complex rules. There's no guarantees. Uh, it's just like low contributions compared to DB funded, poor record keeping. Whatever it is, there are things that the member will get upset about if if you don't get right. But equally, if you do it properly, like you know, personalised videos, you can really change the dial. Mm. And I, I, I just think. Um, it's probably the hardest one to quantify, but it's possibly one of the most important. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Um, if you don't phone somebody back in a query and I say to you, do you think the scheme's good value? They'll go, no, <laughs> they, don't phone, they yeah. don't phone you back. You know, so, uh, so that's my three things. I think the three of them together could be super duper powerful. And yeah, um, yeah. And, and, yeah and, 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 and We've got to get away from this knowing the price of everything and the value of nothing. And I think mm. it's, it's uh, you know, if I've got some kind of vision here, you know, you bring it, yeah, if you bring it all together, right, and this is the bit I didn't put in my report in professional pensions, but if, if, you, if, if you think about your car and you get your MOT done, you don't, you don't know 
who knows what the, the you know the um how the clutch works or how the you know how the actual engine works but you know it's got to be roadworthy and get to the end of its journey in safe 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 uh, order and and i just think the same as about pension schemes people don't have to understand all this stuff under the bonnet mm -hmm. as an individual to know whether i'm good value or not and so you know we could easily develop a test on these three areas analogous to an MOT that you know determines whether your scheme's roadworthy and if it's not and, and to be clear if it's not roadworthy it should be taken off the road so, uh -huh. I, so, so I, I don't think there should be ambiguity in this yeah so there's, there's there's loads of food for thought there isn't there um and I, I don't think we could do justice to all of this today, unfortunately. No, no. I, I just, I just want, I want to have a little moan no, no, no. Uh, because Brian oh, talks about cars <laughs> and MOT. And um, I went to take um, the um, MOT, uh, my, my car for the MOT, or I called up their mechanic that we use. And um, his, his words were, you're not still driving that thing, are you? Um, so he didn't even <laughs> he didn't even look at it. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm frantically trying to sort of work out how to get a new car at the moment. Anyway, but oh, this wasn't point. the mystery machine. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, 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 no. That's the mystery machine. Excuse <laughs> me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so, so much, Brian. Uh, yeah. yeah, really, really. No, not at all. Um, Thanks for letting me have the the opportunity to talk about this. I mean, I, I feel it's pretty, really, really great to have you. Passionate on. about um, it. Yeah, no, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, look, we've been recording virtually today, um, so we're not on our usual pod. Um, but thanks as ever to DG Publishing, uh, who are soon to be DG Publishing and Pensions Expert, uh, for hosting us when we are there in person. Um, and Darren, we were at their their strategic summit, the DC Strategic Summit yesterday, weren't we? Yeah, it was a good event. Um, and I we 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 did a, a VFM live, not VFM live, yeah, um, <laughs> with um, Andrew Warwick Thompson, Ian Pitterway, and Jeanette Weir, and um, you know, a number of the themes that we've discussed today and we've discussed throughout the podcast series were picked up on. Um, and what I'm really impressed with is the sort of the quality of engagement and the quality of the sort of questioning. You know, people are really mm. interested in getting this right, mm. and it's um, it's difficult stuff. And you know, like anything, there's no sort of one single answer. Yeah, yeah, and um, I think we should also say we we bumped into a lot of listeners to our podcast yesterday. I guess I guess that was exactly where we should expect to find them at a DC uh, strategic um, uh, uh, conference. But um, yeah, some some really kind words and and, and great feedback. Um, I, I won't name any names, but particular shout out to someone who told me that they listen to us whilst they're running. Um, so I, I hope you've completed your your run because uh, we're about to we're about we're, to we're about to wrap up. We're about to wrap up. Yeah, yeah. So um, speaking of feedback, don't forget you can get in touch with us at vfmpensions at gmail .com. Um, You know uh, we we welcome feedback, or if you want to put yourself forward as a guest, please uh, uh, pl please let us know. Um, yeah, Brian, have you have you got anything coming up? Any any conferences? Uh, well, I, I need to go and well, I'm actually in a t-shirt here, so I need to go and put a shirt and tie on and head downtown <laughs> to speak at speak at a round table on uh, it was a global ethical finance people have put together a survey of Scottish local authorities and their mm. alignment on all things sustainable. So um, yeah, I need to get suited and booted and scoot. 
in a minute. Well, Fair enough. We'll, best of luck with we'll that. Let you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so thank you so much. Thank you. thank you so much for joining us today. Um, so next week um, we don't have a guest uh, deliberately, so that Darren and I are going to spend um, one full episode uh, trying to look back over the key themes that have emerged. Um, over the last, well, gosh, we're, we're 19 plus two episodes, aren't we, Darren? We so uh, 21, 21 weeks. Um, so, yeah, we're going to do a bit of a review. Um, and I'm sure we'll pick up a number of the points that we were just were talking about with Brian. And, uh, yeah, I hope you join us for that. Yeah, and uh, very much looking forward to that. Um, so hope our listeners are, are well and they've enjoyed the podcast. Yes. Just doing good podcast <laughs> etiquette there. But uh, Nick, Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. thanks, thanks for reminding me of that. <laughs> Um, and until next time, it's bye from me. It's goodbye from me and Brian. And it's goodbye from him, uh, from me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.